Okay. It's not raining yet, is it? I don't think so. Well, um, it's good to see everybody get out in the weather. That's good of you. I think we have something special here for you today. Al's coming back. Um, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is in First John. I think it's 4. And it says, Behold, what manner of love it is that we should be called sons of God or children of God. A tremendous amount of love went into making that true. And Al has come uh, this week, Monday, uh, Sunday through Tuesday, and then next uh, month as well, to talk to us about being sons of God. The amount of love of God that went into making that true. And what we have uh, as a part of that going forward. So he'll be here tonight at 6. Uh, we won't be doing worship service on these meetings here from here out with him on the night services. So it's tonight at 6 and then Monday and Tuesday night at 7. We'll just pick it up and start teaching. There's got a lot of stuff coming forth on this guy. The word Smith. Al Houghton. Thanks, Larry. It's a privilege to be back. Oh, man. I'm telling you, the last um, week, <laughs> God has rocked my world. Oh, man. Literally. He has rocked my world. Actually, what he's done for me, he has brought into context um, how he's led me these last few years. And uh, he's, he's really brought it all in, just kind of boiled it down and said, he's narrowed my purpose. He, he's uh, brought clarity to my purpose. And uh, when I got saved, I'd been saved about two weeks, and I was at a, a meeting, and they were talking about eschatology and the rapture. And I just had this witness that it was error, that what was being taught at that moment was error. And so um, and there's going to be a rapture. Relax. I'm not saying there's not going to be one. I'm just saying what I experienced in that meeting, I had a witness. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of interpretations about the end times. But I, I was troubled. My spirit, I was learning to walk in the spirit. I was getting a witness from the Lord that there's error here. I mean, that's what my inside was telling me. That inner voice was saying this. I was complaining. How come you letting this go? I've just been saved two weeks. What kind of corporation are you operating here? You've been waiting for you to show up. Yeah. <laughs> what a hell of a way to run a company. I was a Navy guy in those days, and... I, I apologize if that offended anybody, but I'm, I'm just trying to paint a picture for you of where I was at. So I didn't know anything from anything, all right? I was brand new. and uh, But I was just, what do you do when you're in a meeting and where God is being represented and everything on the inside of you says, this is error? So I just start, you know, going off in my, what those days was normal. So... There was not any sanctification at that point. I had been an agnostic for 10 years, and I talked like one, okay? So I trust that won't offend anybody. I, surely you are delivered from a religious spirit by now. I trust. Okay. Come on, get real. God, God is real. This stuff doesn't bother him. He looks at the heart. God, thank God he does. We'd be in trouble if he didn't. He looks at the heart. And, well, I triggered something when I went off into that. What kind of company are you running here? Because as soon as I walked out of the meeting, God spoke to me audibly. How are they going to know if I don't send anybody to tell them? thought, uh-oh, my airline career is about to take a hit. <laughs> and sure enough, it did, because God called me into the ministry that night. Oh, wow. And then seven years later, 
he spoke to me audibly again. And this time, he said, prepare my people for persecution. I thought, oh boy, that'll be fun. I know they're going to love to hear these messages. And so what God has done for me in this last week is he has brought me full circle and he has shown me how everything that I have been led to do, right? I mean, the, all the books that he put in my hand and the ones that are coming have all been a piece of that picture to prepare the church for their greatest testimony ever. Now, we sang a song. We started off our ministry time. These are the days of Elijah. I want to tell you that's a mouthful. Whether you sing it, pray it, declare it, it's a mouthful. Open your Bible to Revelation chapter 11. Now, I want to talk to you about, because we do it. I, I think we're all familiar with how this developed, right? Now, by familiar, what I, what I mean is that the disciple, once Jesus was resurrected, all right, in Luke 24, and uh, Luke, Luke 24 is just, uh, I think, one of the most awesome chapters in the Bible, so I'll get to Revelation 11 in a minute, but but uh, I want to go over to Luke 24 first. Yeah, ADD is in action. When he uh, not really medicated yet, so it takes 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, all right. The medication has begun. I'm sure I'll get normal here in a minute, but until then, you have to deal with this. Now, Luke 24 is an awesome chapter because in Luke 24, Jesus hides himself in the middle of his disciples and he acts dumb. He acts like he knows nothing about what has just taken place and the resurrection has just taken place. And when you pick it up in verse 13, 24, Luke 24, 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Now listen to Jesus act like, act oblivious to what's been going on. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you brain dead? Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And <laughs> have you not known the things which happened here in these days? What rock have you been hiding under? What cave are you living in? you got to be kidding me. You really are clueless about what's been going on in Jerusalem? Where have you been? And he said to them, (laughs) what things? (laughs) What a con job. The master con job. I wonder what Jesus is after. They said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned, judged to death, and crucified him. But we were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, verse 24. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said. And he was not there. And now, Jesus switches gears. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered 
these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Now, if you go back to Moses in Exodus 6, because what you're looking for, why did you start with Moses? Why did you go back to Abraham? What, what changed with Moses? Why? They didn't, slow of heart to believe what the prophets have said. What prophetic thing changed? What shifted? What earthquake came in the life of Moses? What could Jesus be talking about here? Now, this is how you connect the dots. Look at somebody and say, connect the dots. Because in the Bible, that's what we want to do. We want to connect the dots. That's how you get the whole picture. You connect the dots. Exodus 6, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go. With a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Jehovah. All right, so I'm reverting to Hebrew here. It's apparent in the Hebrew, but you have to look at it in Hebrew to, to figure out what the shift was. I am Jehovah. I appeared, verse 3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai. But by my name, Jehovah, I was not known to them. That's why I didn't start with Abraham. He starts with Moses. Because when Moses steps on the scene, here comes Jehovah. Israel doesn't know the magnitude of Jehovah yet. But they're about to find out who Jehovah really is. So who is he, church? Since these are the days of Elijah, who is Jehovah to us? And is he recognized in D.C., in Austin, in Sacramento? No, he's not. Not this Jehovah. This Jehovah is about to rise in the church. And that's what Jesus is declaring on his resurrection day. There's a shift, and buddy, it's here. And you guys need to believe what the prophets have said, because you're about to wear it. You're about to walk in it. It's coming your direction. God's knocking on your door with an anointing. Now, the real question is, are you at home? There's a shift afoot. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, but by my name Jehovah I was not known to them. Verse 4. I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, which they were strangers. And I've heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. I've remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am Jehovah. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue from you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Jehovah is the God who covenantally intervenes for his people by judgment. Now, Jesus is declaring Jehovah... Just got resurrected in me, and I'm releasing him. Church. There's a new kingdom. It's active. It's operational. I'm bringing you into it. But you need to wait in Jerusalem. You need to stay here until you are empowered from on high. Now, that's how Luke 24 finishes up. But there's a one-liner in there that if you've never prayed it, I'm telling you, you need to pray it out of Luke 24. And this is it. Hallelujah. And Jesus began to open their understanding that they might understand the Scripture. Oh, my gosh. Now, if you've never prayed that, I'm telling you, you need to pray it. 
Hallelujah. Because God does that for us. That is an anointing that he brings. He can open our... That's the job of the Spirit. That's the assignment of the Holy Spirit. He opens our understanding that we might understand the Scripture. Hallelujah. Now, you talk about a blessing. That is a blessing. Now, look at verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. All right. If we fast forward to Acts chapter 1, we read, okay, here comes the Holy Spirit in Acts 1. And what does the Lord say to them? Acts chapter 1, verse 7, He said, uh, verse 8, But you shall receive power, Acts 1, 8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses, circle witnesses. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. All right, so let me ask you, Jew first, then the Greek. Jew first, then the Greek. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. How did that work? Was there witness received in Jerusalem? Just a little bit. They got a remnant. But man, the persecution broke out and then it drove them out and they had to go everywhere. So then they went out to Judea. How did their witness work in Judea? Well, if you go to Acts chapter 13, Acts 13 shows you how the witness worked in Judea. I mean, and, <laughs> this is the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. They are sent out, all right? They, they still have this mindset. We, look, the Jewish people are God's people. That's their mindset. The Jewish people are God's people. They, they don't have the revelation of adoption in Christ. That, that hadn't come yet. That, they have to wait for Paul. Paul's the one who gets that revelation a couple of decades down the road. So nobody knows that yet. So they're ministering primarily to the Jews. Now, God knows that how the Jewish people are going to respond. They're going to, by and large, they're going to say no. Why are they going to say no? So that God can bring all the Gentiles in. And then he says, whenever the Gentile harvest is full throughout the nations, then I will bring the Jewish people back in. That was his plan in the gospel. But they don't know that yet. So their primary thinking is we have to go to the Jewish people. Now, here's... Barnabas and Paul just sent out. They just become apostles. They've still got this mindset. I mean, it takes Paul a little while to get the revelation that becomes the book of Ephesians. I mean, he, he just didn't get it up front. So pick it up. Now, we're looking 20, 25 years later. They've still got this mindset. Pick it up in Acts 13, verse 44. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes that were filled with, they were filled with envy, contradicting, blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I've set you to be a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. They glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. So, the early church, they are going to the Jewish people and getting rejected. They turn to the Gentiles, they're being accepted. And that goes on for 25 to 30 years until they figure out something about God. God ordained this because there's a Gentile harvest. So their witness 
is not received among the Jewish people. It's received among the Gentiles. All right, now, fast forward to today. Revelation chapter 11. Pick it up in verse 3. So when they waited to be endued with power from on high, what was the first word, Acts 1-8, that came to them? You are my witnesses. All right. Marturia. From Martus. Now look, this family of Greek words, Martus, Marturia, Martureo. When you go into this family of Greek words, Martus, the witness that the early church gives, they believe Christ unto death. So it, we get martyrdom from it. We get martyr comes from Martus, Marturia. All right. The witness that the early church gave, we believe in Christ all the way to death. But there's another word, martureo, that is the theme, the thread that runs through the entire book of Revelation. And martureo is the witness that God gives us when we choose the Holy Spirit and please Him. You can't really qualify for the level of witness we're going to read about right now. Unless you walk in such a way as you get a martyreo from God that you've pleased Him. And that's a Romans 8 issue. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the dictates of the flesh. Now my first, my, my first test of martyreo, I'd spent 20 years building a resume to be an airline pilot. And I mean, I was invested. I was on the books, number one hire for American Airlines. I was on Braniff, number one hire. I was on Delta, number one hire. Because my family was involved in politics. And when I went to the University of Missouri, I got involved in politics. And a Democratic candidate for vice president that year was from my state of Missouri. And my friend that I went to college with, who was his aide, had his office call every major airline and bump me up to number one hire. I mean, they were trying to get a hold of me on the road when I was driving from Kansas City out to Atlanta to uh, drop drop off some of my resumes to those airlines. They were calling me to tell me, hey, we we just heard from Senator so-and-so, and we just want you to know that he, he made it clear that we will have favor in his office if we bump you up to number one hire. And we just want you to know you're on the list. Number one hire. Now, that was during the fuel crisis, 1974. So they laid off a few, but whenever we start re- rehiring you, we'll get a call from me. And I and I did. I, I got a letter from American Airlines. We got your spot. Come on in. After my first year in seminary. Yeah, that's when it showed up. <laughs> oh, shoot. I'll tell you, I know a little bit about martyreo. I've been in a few. I can help you walk this path out. I can help you qualify for this. Because God gave me the theology that will give you the faith to walk victoriously. That's what God showed me this last week. He said, son, I put in your hands the theology of the fearless end time witnesses. So it's time to test the obedience of the elders. I think I recommended the series that you guys pick up. Did you get it? Did you listen to it? You're in process. That's good. 
That's the theology. It produces a fearlessness in God, and it qualifies for this level of witness we're going to read about right here. Now, I want to say to everybody in this congregation, that's a path you're on right now. That's why we're doing this. We are doing this because there is a goal. There is a purpose. There is something that God showed us that He has opened the door for you to come into. And He is going to give you the chapter and verse to back it up. And all you have to do is add faith to it. And then God will do His part. And there's a fail-safe. It's just like nuclear weapons. It's fail-safe. It's fail-safe. Hallelujah. But the zeal of God. The zeal of God fail-safes this dimension of witness. And you only go into it when God pulls the zeal trigger, like he pulled on Jesus. I mean, the zeal trigger transformed Jesus into another person. And all, all the guys who were walking with him, that's not the guy we walk with. What happened? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded them, it is written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Unto us a son is born. We have that kingdom. And what is the last part of verse 7? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's the zeal trigger. You and I don't go looking for a fight. We use our faith to walk in the three judicial cords that the Lord's going to restore. That tradition is stolen. We're going to outline those for you. You're going to know how to operate, how to use your faith for those uh, on a a, a weekly basis. You can walk in this. This isn't rocket science. we got chapter and verse. It's biblical. I mean, anybody can see it. A six-year-old kid can get a hold of this because it's that simple. You either witness or you're not. You either qualify them for this or you don't. And God has said, here's how you qualify for it. All right, so let's, let's look at the witnesses. Because now, now we are looking, this, move from Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8 was 2,000 years ago, okay? This is today. This is right now. Revelation 11. This is our generation. Verse 3. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. They have power over water to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And when they finish there, marturia, testimony. The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Now, my whole life, I, for every generation, whenever it comes to eschatology, the study of end time events, those, all, it's all been speculation. We have speculation upon speculation about who these witnesses are. My whole life. Well, let's see. Uh, and, and it comes from various things. It's appointed unto man once to die. That is Hebrews uh, 9. 27 or 28, is appointed man once to die, and then the judgment. Okay, so if that's true, then it surely it will be two people who haven't died. Got to be Enoch and Elijah, because they haven't died. Well, that sounds pretty good. On the surface. But wait a minute. Just wait a minute. You, you know how you go back and compare Scripture with Scripture? Didn't we read somewhere there's a generation who aren't going to die? Second Thessalonians. First Thess, wherever it is. That rapture passage. That's it. 
Verse says, for there is a generation. So not everybody has to die. Well, that's obvious. If we got a generation, you're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, so much for that theory. It sounded good when it started, but when you balance it out, not everybody's going to die. Truth of the matter is, we die with Christ. Hello? Our life is hid with Christ in God. So the Lord accepts us. When, when we accept Jesus, uh, he declares that we have died with him and therefore qualify in the full measure of the resurrection, resurrected life that Jesus brought to us. Okay, well, let's see. If fire comes out of their mouth, it's going to have to be people who had that experience. It's going to have to be Elijah and maybe Moses because he called some fire down. He started it. He stopped it. Stopped the lightning. Pharaoh, I'll give you the honor. You decide. When do you want it to stop? Dumbo, you couldn't start this, and you can't stop it, but the God I serve started it, and he can stop it. And he told me to offer you the honor of deciding when to stop it. (laughs) Now, that's what you call rubbing your face in it. I mean to tell you, first class. And that was Moses. Pharaoh says, tomorrow. I thought, why didn't you say now? I can't believe you're crazy. That's got to be pride and arrogance that he just said tomorrow. <laughs> Golly. He'd, you know, let your people suffer. Give me a break. That was crazy. And when Moses prayed, it stopped. And the thing that stuns me about that, okay, hail, fire, all this stuff is coming down. Moses walks right and tells Pharaoh, as soon as I get out of town, in other words, I'm walking through the hail and the fire, and it won't touch me. (laughs) You talk about a witness. I will lift my hands and ask God to stop it after I walk through it. What do you think of that, Pharaoh? Brain dead, it eat it. Give me a break. That's a witness. And it looks to me like when I read this, what God is saying to the church because you are going to face such determined demonic opposition. I'm going to grow you to the place where I can trust you with the full measure of judgment as often as you desire. You know anybody you'd trust with that? How in the world are we going to grow into the place if... We qualify as the witnesses. Now, it's easy to pass it off to somebody else. And especially if they're already dead. Now, I can see how Moses could qualify for this. I can see how Elijah could qualify for this. Oh, wait a minute. I think I remember something about reading about Elijah. Said something in in Matthew 17, I think, that was kind of shocking. It certainly shocked the disciples. Uh, concerning uh, Elijah. Yeah, you know, that, and, and one of the great things about uh, Malachi, hey, I'm going to send you Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and uh, vice versa. Wow. So then when we, you go over to Matthew 17 and you look at what Jesus has to say here, you go, uh-oh. 17.10. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say Elijah must come? And Jesus answered and said to them, Elijah truly is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you, Elijah has come already, and they did not know him. 
but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood. He spoke to them of John the Baptist. So who is the Elijah that was to come according to Malachi? John the Baptist. Well, oh great. Cross Elijah off the list. All right. How, how, many, how do we do things when we study stuff out? How do we do things? Now, what, the, the one thing that makes Revelation uh, navigable is that oftentimes when uh, John or when somebody gets a vision, the angel will say to the, explain it. But what if he doesn't explain it? Now, then what? What do we have to do? We have to go to the rest of Scripture. We have to work. We have to study. We have to dig this out. All right? So, look in Revelation 11:3. I will give power to my two witnesses. They will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are, uh-uh, now, now this is the definition of who they are. Look at verse 4. This is who they are. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. They are two olive trees, and they are two lampstands. Go to Jeremiah 11. Okay. All right, God, you got a whole book. Now, who are your olive trees? Show us in this book. Who are your olive trees? Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 15. What has my beloved to do in my house, having done lewd deeds with many, and the, the holy flesh has passed from you? When you do evil, then you rejoice. The Lord called your name green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. With the noise of the great tumult, he has kindled a fire on it, and its branches are broken. Israel, you went into rebellion, and now I broke the branches off your olive tree. You were my olive tree. And olive oil, the oil of the olive tree is a sign of the anointing in Scripture. Israel, you were my olive tree. All right, so anywhere else in the Bible it talks? Yeah, there is in the New Testament, as a matter of fact, Romans chapter 11. So when we go into Romans chapter 11, we find, hey, all of a sudden, God's talking about olive trees. Well, look at this. Romans 11, pick it up in verse uh, 11. Romans 11, 11. I say then, have they, that's Israel, stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles and magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those in my flesh and save some. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Verse 16. For if the first fruit's holy, the lump is also holy. If the root's holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree. Verse 17. The New Testament defines the believe, the Gentile believers as a wild olive tree. What are these two witnesses? Two olive trees. I wonder if this has to say any more about this. Uh, actually, it does. It, it talks about be careful that you aren't cut off. Behold the goodness. Uh, look at verse 24. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild, by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? We've got two olive trees here. We've got Israel is their own olive tree and they have been consigned to wait till the Gentiles come in. The Gentiles. Then then Romans 11 says, God, I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to graft them. I'm going to once again make them their own olive tree. They're my original people. I'm bringing them back. They're my own 
olive tree. I'm giving them, they will once again be their own olive tree. But right now, you Gentile believers, you are my olive tree in the earth. We've got two olive trees. Well, wait a minute. What what else did, did Revelation 11 say? Two olive trees and two lampstands. Revelation 1. When John first started getting this vision, all right, so we get a little help here. It tells us. Two olive trees, two lampstands. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to his feet, girded about his chest with a golden band. And his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. Jump down to verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in the right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. All right, so we've got two olive trees. That's two distinctive groups of people. We've got the Gentile believers that are now, what is the lampstand? That's a church. It's all the church, the true believing church. And then God says, I'm going to bring Israel back in as an olive tree. So by the time we get to this three and a half year, first three and a half of this seven year period that Daniel talks about, that Revelation talks about, by the time we get there, God is going to have two olive trees. But there is a preparation for the witnesses that precedes that. Now, this is where you and I need to understand the martus, the marturia, the martureon, and the martureo. Martureo is the thread that runs all through Hebrews 11. Faith's Hall of Fame. Hello? All right, so I want to set in context for you. Well, I'll tell you what. I want to read one more passage first, and I go to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. Because smile at somebody and say, uh, this sort of changes things. This, this sort of changes things. If we are the witnesses, if we are going to end up being the witnesses, if we're still living when we get to that point, and we are going to be the witnesses. Man, we got some preparation to do. We got some getting ready to do. Oh my. Look at Zechariah 4. Now the angel who walked with me came back and wakened me as a man is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I'm looking and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And the seven lamps with the seven pipes to the seven lamps. Oh, wow. Each lamp is a fire. The seven spirits of God, always lit, always represented by fire in front of the throne room. Now, that's the vision. This is what the throne room looks like. It's got these two olive trees. They're feeding oil into this lampstand. And this lampstand has seven Lamps of fire burning. And in Revelation 4 and 5, these are the Holy Spirit sent throughout the whole earth. The seven distinctive applications of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of counsel, spirit of wisdom, spirit of might, spirit of understanding. And the last one, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a spirit that God can activate anytime he wants to. Boom, here it comes. It's in manifestation. 
And so what we see going down through this, it's not by might, it's by nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. These represent the Holy Spirit. That is our anointing to accomplish what we're called to do on the earth. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Nobody can accomplish their purpose without the Holy Spirit. You and I can't. There's no way we can. So if we're going to do this, only the Holy Spirit in us can do these things. Only the Holy Spirit in us can generate these judgments. But here's the kicker. God's saying, the Holy Spirit in you is going to because you are my witnesses. That changes a whole lot of stuff, church. It's easy to roll it off on somebody who already died. It's a whole different ballgame to stand in front of the mirror and go, oh, my God, that's us. <laughs> How in the world are we going to get from where we are right now into that place? One day at a time. One day at a time. One day at a time. Yielding to the Holy Spirit. One day at a time. Yielding to the Holy Spirit. With that, now, now look at how this ends. Okay, jump over to Zechariah 4.11. Then I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees? One at the right in the lampstand and the other at its left. And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacle of the two golden pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. He said, These are the two anointed ones, or the translation is, these are sons of fresh oil. Sons and daughters of fresh oil. These are those who walk in the Spirit. These are those who've yielded their life to the Holy Spirit. They are my witnesses, and they're the only ones who qualify for it in the last days. Now, the pathway to get there opens up in Hebrews 11, and that's where we're going to finish this. So go to Hebrews chapter 11. How do we get there? One day at a time. What does it look like? It looks just like this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good martureo. Now martureo appears four times in Hebrews 11. Martureo is not the witness you and I give. That's martus, martyria, martyreon, the witness that we give, okay? And, and each one has got a little variance. So when, when you get to, uh, I, I think it's, if I remember right, martyreon, that is the witness that is given about the future. That's the anointing of the prophets. This is the spirit of prophecy that we can all move in. So once you move in there, all of a sudden, you're stepping out and you're prophesying. You're seeing what's coming. And you're speaking about it. You're declaring it before it gets here. But martyreo, that is the witness God gives us. And you only get it one way, by doing what pleases Him. Look at martyreo. You see it in verse 2. By it the elders obtained a good testimony. Verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained martyreo. Jump down to verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated so that he did not see death and was not found because God translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, martyreo. He pleased God. When you get a test, when your actions... Produce a testimony that pleases God. Stuff happens in the realm of the Spirit. And I'm telling you, stuff happens. And the only way you get that testimony is to walk in obedience. And it almost always, when those come, they almost always come at an inopportune time. Years ago... I just, last weekend, I was at a memorial service for a brother that I was ordained with on the same day. So we both had something in common our whole life. We experienced the ordination from hell. And we used to laugh about it all. Anybody who leads you in vows of poverty at an ordination is a brain-dead idiot. I'm telling you. 
I don't know where Ralph got this. Well, I do know where. Anyway, that's, that's a whole story. And I, <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I'm kind of going down memory lane, and the Lord is reminding me. Now, this is a guy who built a plywood camper, took his three little girls. He didn't know Spanish. I mean, he was just like me. He didn't English, and, and not really good at that. And God said, you go to Mexico. He built a camper for a little, one of those mini Toyota pickups with no promise of any money, not knowing the language. He took off from Mexico City to spend his life as a missionary there. And I, God had called me. God had told me two things. You can't ask for a place to preach. You can't ask for money. I said, Great. What kind of corporation are you running? Same yeah, I got it's the same thread, and it never goes away. Huh? Shoot, I'm back to that over and over again. Oh my god! So all I can do is pray in tongues. I mean, I don't know. So I'm praying the Spirit. All my friends are getting jobs. They're going out and earning money, taking care of their family. They're all looking at me like, "What the heck's wrong with you?" And you know, I can't go tell them. And well, God. Gave me this standard. I can't ask for a place to preach. I can't ask for money. And he won't let me go get a job. That was number three. You're working for me. And I'm giving you the privilege to teach my word and live by faith. Nice privilege. You issue a dictionary to go with your call. Somebody needs to rewrite the definition of privilege. No, I was on a roll. Anyway, that was... (laughs) Yeah, me too. About the third week, all I can do is pray in tongues. There's nothing to do, no place to go, nowhere to preach. And, I, and I'm waiting till one pops up. And after eight hours of praying in tongues, all of a sudden, bam, there comes a Holy Spirit burst. Here comes the interpretation. My hand shoots up, and I hear myself say this. It's interpretation of what I've been praying. God, if Paul Flotto has a faith to take his kids to Mexico, not knowing the language, to be a missionary. Give me the money and we'll keep him on the field. I'm telling you, the week after I prayed that, the door opened, and it's like heaven opened and money started falling out. I've never seen anything like it. For 15 straight years, we put a $1,000 check in the mail every month and kept that family on the mission field. And I learned how you, if you're gonna, you either, you make a choice. You build God's kingdom or you build your own. And if you want the march array, oh, that you pleased Him, you have to build His kingdom, not yours. It's real simple. It's amazing how many people get sidetracked into building their own. And never, ever qualify. For God's best. God speaks to me during that period. Son, if you'll put wheels on other ministry, I'll put wings on yours. I said, really? So every three years, we'd start giving a, a car away, a vehicle away. So for the, and, and I started, I was only in a, a Bible study for five weeks. We had to move out of a house. We had to get a small church. We only lasted there five weeks. Had to go get an auditorium that seated 1,200 people. That's what was available. So all of a sudden, after a few months, we got 350 people coming to a Bible study on Tuesday and Sunday night. And everybody says, start meeting on Sunday morning. This thing will go to 1,000 and 1,500. That's all you have to do. And I'm thinking, yeah. And I'm in Pasadena. I mean, every little old rich lady in Pasadena became my friend. It was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. California is a nutcase place if there was ever one, and that place is it. But there are a few sane people, but most of them are elderly. All right? They're not a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. It was unbelievable. Meet on Sunday morning. That's all you got to do. I beg God, let me meet on Sunday. Because I knew where 350 goes to 1,000. Goes to 1,200. Now, that means the budget triples. And guess what God said to my brilliant plan? 
I didn't call you to pastor. I called you to teach. Did anybody ever tell you what they think of your call? I'm voicing a complaint right now. (laughs) So, guess what happened in the auditorium we renovated and actually spent thousands of dollars redoing the sound system, getting it all ready. This guy comes in to the place we paid for and renovated. I mean, thousands of dollars put into it to renovate it. He starts meeting on Sunday morning. And I watch. <laughs> oh, God. You talk about crucifixion plus. I know what it takes to get a march array. Oh, you have to yield to the Spirit one day at a time. One day at a time. We lasted 12 years and God said, you're done. It's through. It's time to travel. There's a, anybody know Howard Payne University? We got a few good Baptists around here. All right. I was at Howard Payne uh, last year. Yeah, maybe two years ago. We were doing a conference, and there were four of us invited to do it. And uh, <clears throat> I had uh, given away my town car, so I, and I didn't have, we were down to one car. So I'd been praying, I said, God, you know, I want to. I like that floaty boat ride. They don't make them anymore. So the last one they made was uh, 2011, I think. So I'm looking for one, and I'm flying into Abilene, and boom, there's one in Abilene. So I call it up, and I say, hey, I'll be out there, and when the meetings are done, I'll be out there on Sunday to look at it. And, uh, you know, if if it is everything you say it is, I'll bring you the money for it. I'll bring you the cash for it, and I'll drop it down. I think it was 8000 is what they wanted for it. And it was low mileage, so it was perfect. It was everything I was looking for. Well, <clears throat> there's an Ethiopian guy I'm ministering with named Alamu. And he's, and, and he's sitting right here. Now, it's, it's my turn, okay? So I, or, or, sorry, the Holy Spirit tagged me. The, the, we, we just had to go by the Spirit. That There wasn't any... You're on here. You're on there. You guys are old enough to figure out who preaches when. So you just go back and forth. I said, oh, my, this is going to be fun. So all of a sudden, I feel the Holy Spirit tug. It's my turn, and I get up. Now, once I get up, and I've got this B of A envelope with this money sitting in that briefcase right over there. And God speaks to me after I'm up. Uh, ministering about following the Holy Spirit, and he said, Al, here's what he said, this little Ethiopian character. He needs a car more than you do. Oh, crap, here we go again. In typical obedient fashion, grinding my teeth, saying, are you sure about this? I need a confirmation. (laughs) I walked over reluctantly, picked that up, and I was half ticked. I just threw it in his lap. (laughs) God just spoke to me. That's the money for a car I was going to pick up in Abilene, and God told me, you needed a car more than I did. So there it is. And that's it. That's just the way I did it. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fell. People started being healed on the second row. There was a shift in that meeting, and it blew the doors off of that place. I kid you not. Max, Max Evans is a guy, if you know him, ask, ask him what happened when that you don't know the things that God has appointed. You don't know the trigger that your obedience will pull before God. You have no idea. And so I'm thinking, oh gosh, here's, I got another six to 12 months probably. God, the way you work with your clock before I find my car. 
And before I can save enough money to get, who knows how long that'll be, before I can save enough money to, to get the cash for a new one. This guy walks in on, now that was on a Saturday. On a Sunday, this guy walks into Max's house. I was there. He said, I was there. I saw what the Holy Spirit did at Howard Payne University, and God told me to give you this. <laughs> Max opens it up and goes, <gasps> and right on the spot, writes me a check. Here, you're going home with the same 8000 you brought to buy that car. Here it is. I mean, I gave it, and the next day had the money to go home with it and then found my car in Tulsa at a Christian dealership. Church, I know a little bit about what it takes to get a march right. Oh, it takes obedience. It takes bow your knee. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Bow your knee. There's no price you can put on God's presence when He shows up. He started healing and delivering people. There was a family who wouldn't come in. They didn't feel worthy to come in. They opened the door in the back. And sat outside. God brought them in, restored them. I still talk about that meeting and what the shift that took place. When somebody with stiff knees finally bowed. And I fought it. I always fought it. I'll be honest. I fought it. I was mad about doing it. I didn't do it happily. I didn't do it the way your religious people are supposed to. Whoop to here you are, this nice sweet crap. <laughs> I was mad, I was ticked. But I learned enough about God. I don't care how you feel about it. Bite your lip and obey. Bite your lip and obey. Oh, I'm glad I did. Because God came in that room. God came. I think I know how you and I qualify for him to say from now on, whatever plagues needed, as often as you desire, I trust you with my anointing. Because you have obeyed in the hard places. You said yes when you didn't want to. You bowed when it cost you something. I trust you. Church, that's what's on the table. That's what God's offering. We can finish our race with what Moses walked in and more. You shall be my witnesses. Father, thank you for City of Refuge. Lord, thank you for all the years that we have walked this path together. And Lord, thank you now for the reward. Thank you for the reward. The fullness of who you are, the fullness of Christ. Your promise in every chapter of Ephesians that you might be filled with all the fullness of Christ. Lord, we see people who hate you. We see people who are threatening to kill and send out hit squads. And yet, Father, in this anointing, they're the ones who get hit. Lord, Cause this people to receive the fullness of your anointing so that they end their days walking fearless in the face of evil. Because we have seen eternity, we have walked with God, we chose to obey, and we're still here.
Lord, thank you for every person here today. And I ask you, fill their hands with your anointing and with your fullness. And let them know the authority and the power of the fullness of your witness in the days ahead. You said, I will give power to my witnesses. I declare that over these people right now. I declare Amar to Rayon in Jesus' name, the authority, the full authority that was blood-bought by Christ is coming your direction. May the Lord stand before you and impart it to you in the name of Jesus. And may you be responsible for harvesting cities and nations in the days ahead. God, give us the fullness of the harvest that's been blood-bought. We thank you for it. We receive it. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying, Amen. Amen.